Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about the most important decision you will ever make. Joshua 24, 14-27. But first, it's really about idols that we're going to be talking about in the end of the day here. And speaking of idols, there was something that happened to Kim and I. We had just gotten married. We moved to uh, Chicago, where I was going to Trinity Evan- Evangelical Divinity School, and she was at Trinity University there. And we were always moving around, finding the best deal where we could live. And we saw this advertisement that someone was going to needed a house sitter for their mansion. It was right by the school. It was this big mansion, and it was going to be basically free. Just needed someone to for a semester to watch their house because they were going down to Florida. So we were like, wow, what a great deal. We went and met the people. Very nice. The house was beautiful. <laughs> we were living in a basement, I think, before that. You know, the house was beautiful. So we said, yeah, we'll do it. Great. So they left for Florida, and we showed up. The day they left, they were already gone flying on the airplane. And we get to the house, and we came in, and it was so nice. And we're moving our stuff up. But as I'm walking up the stairs to go upstairs to bring our stuff up to the bedroom, we kept walked past this whole section of the stairway that was just covered with shelving and, and idols, all these masks and, and idols from all over the world. Look, they collected all kinds of different idols and, and different uh, idolatry, paraphernalia, that kind of thing. So scary masks from wherever, Africa. And so we were like, hmm, that was, that's kind of weird, but we didn't think much of it. And so uh, got going, and that night we went to bed, and Kim fell asleep quickly, but I was still awake, and... And I, I heard this noise. I heard it like someone walking in the hallway. And I was like, is that someone walking? It can't be. They can't be in. You know, they, I must be imagining something. But no, then I heard running, and it was really loud. Someone was definitely in the house. And finally, I'm like, I woke Kim up. I said, Kim, listen, is this my imagination? She's like, nope, there's somebody in the house, you know, walking up and down the hallway, running, all kinds of stuff. And she's like, call the police. So I got on the phone there. I called the police. The police come, and there was no one there. Nothing. But we definitely heard something. And that was just the start of a lot of spooky things that happened. There, the, the, the garage doors were open just out of nowhere. And we called the people. We said, do you have some kind of garage door, whatever? And they, no, it shouldn't be open. And then we'd come in, the window would be open. Like, did someone break into the house? The window was open. And this was winter, so there was no way we would have known it was open. Just open. And, and all these weird, weird things kept happening. And we felt this. We definitely felt this evil presence in the house. And finally, we were like, you know what? It has to be those idols. Someone or something doesn't want us here because we're Christians and we have brought the Holy Spirit into this house. And that's what idols, idols represent demons. The Bible teaches that very clearly. And, that by, and by bringing them into the house, that opens doors and windows, just like the doors were opening and the windows were opening. That's what bringing these idols into the house does. did. They opened the doors for these, these spirits these demons to live in the house. And so we finally said, well, we can't leave. We committed. They're in Florida. So we prayed over the house. We prayed against the demonic spirits. We prayed the blood of Jesus Christ. And we had a quiet stay for the rest of our stay. It was quiet. Idols, idols. There's a reason why God warns us against idols. And we're going to see today that Joshua uses his last address. We're getting to the end of Joshua here. He uses his last address to warn about idols. Let me pray first. Father, we 
pray that everyone who hears these words, everyone who hears the word of God here, that we would really search our hearts and be set free from any idols in our life. And if anything's keeping us from coming to Christ, that today would be the day that we put our faith in Jesus and surrender our life to him. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Joshua 24, 14-27. And let me just read that here. Starting with verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away your gods... Throw away the gods your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord himself who brought us up out of Egypt. And our father brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt and that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, This stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the, the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue. To your God. Why do you think Joshua uses his last speech, his last address to the Israelites to warn them about idols? And it's all throughout the Bible, actually, but why does he use his last speech? And don't forget, Joshua is a picture of Jesus. This is Jesus speaking to us today, the same thing, warning us against idols. Why? Because we are prone to idolatry. It's a huge temptation for us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm not tempted to pray to a statue like the Buddhists do or Hindus or, or even some from Christian traditions. They pray to statues, which, by the way, the Bible clearly teaches we must pray only to the Father through the Son. Jesus said, pray in my name. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. There is only one way. The Son of God became man, the God-man, so that we, he could be our mediator. There are no co-mediators. There's no one else to pray to. It's the, the Father through the Son. That's it. So anyway, back to our idols. We might think idols, there are no temptation for me. I don't pray to the pagan idols like they do in Africa or India, which they do. I was in India. There's 220 million gods in India. That's how many idols there are. <laughs> 220 million different gods. Uh, so, you say, well, I don't do that. 
But that is good that we don't do that because idols do represent a god, a small g god, which is really a demon. These are just fallen angels who, who along with Satan, were thrown, thrown out of heaven. They, tried, they wanted to be worshipped like God. They wanted to be on equal footing with God. God threw them out, a third of the angels, and they come to earth and they want to be worshipped. And so they pass themselves off as, as some kind of a god and they get idols set up in their, in their way. But they really represent demons. In fact, in Deuteronomy 32, 16 and 17, listen to what it says here in Deuteronomy 32, 16, it says, They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your forefathers did not fear. So we see that, the, that they're, they're demons. In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, it says this in the New Testament too. No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. So you see that clearly teaches that these idols represent a demon. They're connected to a demon. That's why we had our problems in Chicago. Demonic. So why did the Israelites worship them? Because they promised them something. These demons promised them something. They promised them fertility, which was very important. Still important to women, but very, very important in that culture. Uh, the, you know, and they promised that you could, we'll give you children. These, these idols promised that we'll give you children if you worship us. Sex. They promised them sex. Big part of pagan worship. The big part of idolatry in the Bible's time, and even today, a big part was sex. You would go to the temple, and you would have, uh, you know, sex with with the priestess, or or sex with the uh, priest, you know. And they would have the, the women would have with the priest, the, the men with the 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 priestess there. That sex was a huge part of it. You can imagine what a temptation that must have been to to worship these idols because of the sex that came along with it. And there was also sexual orgies and all constantly all part of this worship. Also, they, uh, another part of idolatry is they, they, these idols promised them that special blessings if they would just worship them. Moloch is a clear example. Moloch, you see him in the Bible many, many times, and he promised them if they would sacrifice their children to Moloch, sacrifice their children, he would give them all these special sacrifices. And uh, well, just, I just went online here and I went to gotquestions.org. It's a great site to answer spiritual questions and it talked about child sacrifice and listen to what it says here and connect the dots to Moloch in just a minute it says the horrific practice of child sacrifice has been committed through the, throughout the world for thousands of years worshippers sought to obtain a blessing from their gods or to confirm or complete a vow taken in the name of the god ancient Aztecs, Incas in Central and South America practice child sacrifice. If you look at anything that's going on with archaeology today, the number of murdered children and people that were sacrificed, human sacrifices in, in Central and South America, there's a reason why God judged those cultures just like he's going to judge other cultures if we, if we don't repent very, very quickly. Um, the Druids of Europe, once again, lots of child sacrifice. All throughout history there's been child sacrifice. The Bible contains the heartbreaking tale of child sacrifice practiced in the name of Moloch, a god of the Ammonites. 
living children were placed into the idol's hands and died there or were rolled into the fire pit. And what they would do is, is the priest would be in the back with a, his hand on a lever. The parents would come. The mother would put this baby in the arms of this, this Moloch. And, and then the, they would do an incantation. And then the arms would, they would call on the God and the arms would lower. This miraculous thing was happening because the guy in the back is pushing the lever. The arms would lower the child onto the hot burning coals and they would cook that baby. You say, how would any mother do that? Well, what they would do is they were called the drums of Moloch. As they came to place the child and the, babies, uh, the baby in the, the arms of this Moloch demon, uh, when they did that, when the mother did that, they would start to beat drums quietly, then louder, then louder, and pretty soon they were, uh, couldn't hear anything except the drums. Boom, 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 deafening drums. Boom, boom, boom. Why did they do that? Because they didn't want the mother to hear the screams of the baby that was being killed in the fire, being cooked on the coals. Because if she could hear the screams, she wouldn't sacrifice her baby ever again. Nobody would if they could hear the screams. That's what they did. We do the same today, don't we? I'll connect the dots in just a minute on that one. We do the same thing. In fact, in this gotquestions.org, they do a great job of this. It says, today child sacrifice is practiced throughout the world. There's a resurgence of child sacrifice in Uganda, witch doctors, mutilation, death of children, in an, in an effort to bring good fortune and wealth to those who are willing to pay that price. There's also a correlation between child sacrifice and modern-day abortion. Unprecedented numbers of children have been sacrificed for the sake of convenience, immorality, or pride. They are killed so that their parents can maintain a certain lifestyle. And we can be sure that God will judge the horrendous sin. And why do women do it? Why do women abort their babies today? Because the drums of Moloch are still being the demonic lies that it's a choice and, and women's rights and it's not a human being and it's, it's not a life and, and boom, 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 boom. And they won't even let, they don't even encourage women to look at the ultrasounds. They want to hide that from women. Boom, 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 boom. They, they lie. They brainwash these, these girls from the time they're young that abortion is it's fine and it's just a procedure. Boom, boom, boom. And, and, and because if they could really see what was going on, really see. It's so many times, it's still, what Moloch, the same demons that, that, that were behind Moloch are still at work in the abortion industry. The demons don't care. They just want to kill. They want to destroy life because we are made in God's image. And the most innocent of all, the, these babies are, are made in God's image. And, and, and Satan and demons hate us for that and hate these babies. And these poor people are falling to the lies because of the boom, boom, boom drums, the lie, the media, the garbage, all this is just booming. Now, I want to say this. Many of you have had your eyes open. Many have, have realized what happened when you were involved in abortion. Many people, unfortunately, sadly, many people are involved with abortion. Many here. Many have talked to me, and you've got your healing because your eyes have been opened. As horrific as it was that what happened, God's grace is greater. The blood of Jesus Christ covers that, even the sin of abortion, the blood of Jesus Christ covers. God can even bring something healing, can bring healing to anybody and bring something good out of, of what you learn. I see many men and women here who, who help other women not to have abortions and other girls not to have abortions and, and help out with choice one another crisis pregnancy centers because they don't want anyone else to go through what they've gone through. God brings his healing and something good out of it. But let's connect the dots. The idols are still with us. They've just morphed. 
Malik has morphed. And an idol can be anything. Anything or anyone we put before God. Anything that's more important to us than God is. An idol can be anything. Absolutely anything. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, let me just turn to that. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Once again in Matthew 10, 27, he says, sorry, 10, 37, 10, 37, he says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So we see that an idol can be anything. Anything that, that is more important to us than God. Anything that pulls us away from God. That's, that's an idol. Anything that pulls us away from God can be an idol. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 3-6, listen to what it says. Listen to this list. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater. Ooh, I'm going to read that again. For... Of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Woo! Anything. Look at that list. We all struggle with these. these any of these things can, can become an idol for us. And we're constantly being pulled constantly being tempted. That's why John warns us, we all are vulnerable. We all are vulnerable to idolatry. Look at that list in Ephesians 5. Wow. Something we all battle daily, right? And it's not just this sin or that sin. It's all kinds. Anything could become an idol in our life. Any sin or any good thing, which we'll see a little later. We're constantly being pulled. We're constantly being tempted. That's why John warns us in the last verse of 1 John 5.21. The Apostle John says, Dear children, Keep yourselves from idols. This last warning. Why? Because it's such a hard, hard thing. We're constantly being pulled. It reminds me of um, when I was on the farm as a kid. I had a pony, a pony named Bullet. And this pony loved corn. Corn was Bullet's idol. He was obsessed with corn. All he could think about. didn't have, it didn't matter if he had a bit in his mouth. He would still eat corn. He was just constantly trying to get the corn. But we would only give him a little bit every day. One year a day, because it wouldn't be good for him to have more than that. And so, whatever he did, whether we were riding in the sleigh and the snow with him, or we had a sulky, this little wheeled thing, two-wheeled thing, we'd ride that, or riding him on, on his back when I had a saddle, didn't matter what I did, he always tried to get to the corn crib. His whole goal in life, he was driven to get to that corn crib. And, and I could not the further you got away from the corn crib, the, the slower he would walk. I would try to ride him, ride the sulky, ride him, and he would just walk, walk, walk. The only place he would run to was the corn crib. 
So I finally figured it out, because I wanted to be a cowboy. I wanted to really ride. I was this little guy on my pony, and I wanted to really ride fast. So I finally figured out, I would walk him down the lane, about a half mile down the lane. I remember I had this whole route there on the lane. And, or I'd be on the sulky or on, the, on his back. I'd walk him. Sometimes I had to get off and pull him, pull on the reins, just to get him to go down this, the lane, because he did not want to get far from the corn crib. I'd then get on his back. I'd turn around toward the barns where the corn crib was, and he would shoot off like a... Oh, like a bullet. He would take off like a bullet. He was like, zoom. And that was so much fun. I loved to ride just like the cowboys. I'm flying on this pony, you know, riding. But the problem was, he knew that if I was still with him, he wasn't going to get any corn. He already got his ear of corn for the day. He wasn't going to, so he had to try to get rid of me. And he would, he would, I'd be on this cart, this little sulky behind him, and he would always, I'd be fighting the reins and pulling hard because he would always try to go right between the machinery, the tractor and the ballot or something. And a lot of times I couldn't stop him. He'd go right through that. And next thing I know, the, I'm on my back. The sulkies are all bent up everywhere because he broke through and he's pulling it. The, the reins are trailing off behind him as he gets to the corn crib. Ooh, I'd be so mad when I caught up with him. Or I'd be riding on him and he would aim for a tree branch. And he would know just which branch was just above his back. And he would run under that branch. And I'd, I'd have to grab the branch. I'd be hanging in the hanging in the air and he'd be off off to the, the corn crib trying to sneak another ear of corn there or or he had another trick he would when i went to put the saddle on him he'd puff his stomach out he'd blow his stomach out really big and and if i wasn't paying attention didn't notice that i would buckle him up you know i'd fasten the saddle then when i got on top of him to ride him he'd let out all the air he let it all out and and the saddle would just flip out right up underneath. I would right underneath the, the pony's belly, and he would run off. And, you know, I'm laying there on the ground. And he'd run off to get some more corn. He was all he could think about was that corn. And we all have corn, don't we? We all have something in our life that is a temptation that is that we're vulnerable to. That if we taste it or keep on tasting it, it becomes a powerful addiction for us. That, that besetting sin, the world calls it addiction, the Bible calls it besetting sin. It's a sin. And so we, that's what happens. We all struggle with idols. What was an idol? Think about it. What was an idol? Yeah, it represented a demon, that God and all that. But what was it really? It was an attempt to meet our needs apart from God, which is a big temptation for all of us. We try to meet our needs apart from God. What? Who? Where do we turn for fulfillment instead of for God? Sinful behavior comes to mind. The Bible says don't do this because it's a sin. Well, that's what sin is. Sin is an attempt to meet our needs our way. Trying to meet my needs my way without God. That's what sin is. And, and the reason God says don't do these behaviors is He knows they won't meet our needs. He knows it will be empty. He knows it will be self-destructive. He knows that it will hurt us and haunt us. That's why. But even something good can become negative if it takes God's place. Every day we need to make a decision. Every day, every hour, every minute we have a, a very important decision. Very, very important decision. Joshua twenty four fifteen. When Joshua says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Every day we have to make up our mind. We must make up our mind. Are we going to serve idols 
before God. And look how important it was that, that Joshua took the stand for his family. Fathers set the tone. We set the tone for our families. What is the priority in our family? What is important in our family? What place does God have in our family? We have an important influence in our families. But every day, every individual, every one of us has to make up our minds to serve idols or gods. And, and he says the idols you grew up with, which are the family generational idols, we all have them, we all have to break them. Are we going to repeat the cycle or are we going to break free? Are we going to break free? And we all have to deal with these, whether they're religious ones, we grew up in a religious background that we realize now is not true faith. And are we going to break free of that and follow Jesus? And, and also not just religious, but sinful behavior. Alcoholism is a great example. How often that haunts families. The idols just get passed down, passed down. Are we going to break those cycles? He says the, the idols that our forefathers served beyond the river or the idols of the land where we live. The idols of the land where we live. The United States is loaded with idols. The worship of false gods. Destructive lies that we're just that are everywhere. It's like pollution. You can't move without seeing it and breathing it and hearing it, right? And, and as a result, we have become a hopeless society. A society of addictions, of pain. Many people see death as the only relief. The only release they have. But it is here that we can share the power and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is here that we can show people that power and, and help them break through by that truth. When John, John 8, 31, when Jesus says this, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel, God's word, is a powerful truth. It breaks idolatry's hold and sets people free. Sets us free. That's what it does. It's, it's powerful. I've seen it. I've seen it here. Uh, the, the breaking of idols and, and the power of the gospel. Uh, one story that I, I've told a while back, but it I just really remind me of what I'm talking about here. Um, Mary Alice, a lot of you know Mary Alice. She's moved back into the area. And she used to have a house with a little guest house next to it. And she would rent it out. And one time she rented it to somebody named Kevin. I remember him very, very well. Some of you might remember Kevin. He was um, an activist. He was a homosexual activist, radical homosexual act activist. He was a heavy hitter. He was high in the, the movement. Uh, right from the start, he was high in the movement. And But she didn't, Mary Alice didn't care. She said, I'm going to start telling about Jesus. And she did. I mean, thought Kevin would, needs Jesus too, right? So she witnessed this to this, this radical guy, really. And, and not only that, she brought him to church. She says, I'm bringing him to church. And, and he came. And a crazy thing happened. He loved church. He loved to hear the word. This guy, when I would preach, he was dialed in. You know when you're, you're preaching and you see some people snoozing? No. no that's like, this guy was dialed in. He was focused. I knew God was doing a, a real work in his heart. And, and finally, uh, he wanted to meet with me, so I went over at Mary Alice and I went and met with him and we were talking. And he said, I believe about Jesus. I believe it, but I know it, what it will cost me. It's going to cost him everything. I have to really wrestle with this because it's going to cost me my friends. It's going to cost me my lifestyle. It's going to cost me everything. I mean, his whole identity was based on this radical rights movement that he was part of. 
And, 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 but he goes, but I really want Jesus. I just, I have to count the, you know, basically he was saying, I have to count the cost. And he was so, so close. I said, I, I know you're going to put your faith in Christ. I'm praying for that time. And, and then, uh, it was like the, uh, day before Easter. I'll never forget. I'm pretty sure it was the day before Easter. And Mary Alice said, Kevin's coming to church tomorrow. Pray for me because I just went to his house and I just had a long witnessing with him. He was so close. He was so close. I said, Kevin, I believe you're going to become a Christian any minute now. You know, very close. And, and you're going to pray that. So pray for him. Pray for him. So I couldn't wait to see him the next day because I'm like, wow, this is probably the day we're going to see him become a Christian. But Kevin didn't come to church. And so I was praying for him, and I and I said, Mary, you know, Mary Alice said, yeah, I don't know why he's not here. I'm going to go check on him when I get home to find out what happened. She gets home. She calls me up. She says, Chuck, Kevin is dead. He, it turns out he died this long, slow, painful death. They projected it took hours for him to die. And he didn't, I don't know if he couldn't get to the phone. He just didn't call anybody. But he, it was hours. And I really believe in that time, God gave him that time, that, that time of pain, hours of pain, to pray in faith. Just like the thief on the cross. To turn, just like that thief on the cross endured so much pain, but the end result was he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I believe that's what, that's what Kevin prayed because he was so close, and I can't believe he, God took him through that kind of a pain and those, those hours of pain, gave him that time to make that decision. I really believe it. And then I also believe he took him home because he was so damaged. This guy was damaged physically, emotionally, mentally scarred. He had scars outside and inside. He was tortured. But Jesus forgave him. Jesus freed him. And then Jesus took him home. I really believe that's why. Now, that's just the beginning of the story. Then, Mary Alice called me and said they're going to have a memorial service for Kevin on the canal. There's a, the canal barges. Remember, they used to have the mules pulling the canal barges up and down the canal there. And they're going to have a, a, a memorial service and they're going to let me share because I was the last person to talk to him. And they're going to let me share. So bring Bibles. Bring a lot of Bibles because I'm sure everybody's going to want one after I get done speaking. I said, okay. So I get this big bag of Bibles. I load all the Bibles. I can fit in this big bag. And uh, and we, we get to the barge there from Memorial. And, and she brings me on this barge and says, oh, here's my pastor. I can't wait to share it. And you could tell everybody was... Not quite sure she got permission to share or she said she was going to share. You could kind of tell there was a little tension here between, uh, you know, the, his good friends there and, and uh, what they were planning. But anyway, they start this memorial service and it was bizarre. This, the whole ride was bizarre. Everybody there, it was quite a ride. It was not your, well, it was quite a ride. I'm going to say that. And, and I'll never forget, one of the guys gets up and he starts to share. And this guy shares and, and um, he is... Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to remember. He was dressed in women, a lot of women's clothing, kind of a mix, women's clothes. And he starts to strip down. He starts to strip down. Oh, I know now. He was dressed regularly, and he starts to strip down and then dress up as a woman. But, but they get to strip down. And first, he had to, every time he would take a piece of clothing off, he would tell another part of, of the gay rights history. Of the, because this guy was in the movement. And he would tell another story, what the police did and what they did and what protests and what law they got changed. And every time he took a piece of clothing off, he would get down to, you know, he would tell another part of the history. And, and pretty soon this guy got down to just a thong. And this guy had no business wearing a, a, a Speedo or a thong. This guy had no business doing it, you know. He was way past that stage of his life. I'm not saying he's pudgy, but he shouldn't have been dressed like that. Not dressed like that. Uh, and then... 
after that, he starts putting on women's clothing. And he dressed up as a woman, and he's still telling the whole story. But the whole time, I am really weirded out. I'm creeped out totally, right? This is not, you know, what I want to be doing, you know, at a memorial service. And I'll never forget, I, I turned to Mary Alice, and I could see I was about, we were about five feet from the edge, going down the canal, about five feet from the, the edge where, where the land was from the boat. And I said, Mary Alice, I'm jumping. I'm gone. I can make this jump. You're on your own. Here's the Bibles. I'm gone. And she said, now, Chuck, she patted my arm. Now, Chuck, don't forget, we're here for the gospel. We're here to share the gospel. This is our opportunity, so we have to put up with a lot in order to share the gospel. Uh, so I was like, okay. Okay, I took a lot of deep breaths, kept praying. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll hang on a little longer. See what happens. Then, it got weirder and weirder. It finally ended with this Wicca, Wiccan religion. And they actually handed out this, this, this piece of paper we were all supposed to chant with them. And they had a gong and they had these incense and they were sprinkling flower petals into the canal. And they were praying to the devil. Came right out and prayed to the devil, very clearly. And I'll never forget Mary Alice. They're praying to the devil. She had fire in her eyes. You know. They're praying to the devil. They're praying to the devil. And I said, now Mary Alice, I petted her arm. Don't forget we're here to share the gospel. I got her back. I said, and there's certain things we have to go through in order to share the gospel. <laughs> so they get done ringing the gong, and, and the one guy stands up who was running the show, and he said, okay, that's it. Everybody can go. You know, we're going to ride on back. We're done. Thank you for showing up. And she's like, they're not going to let me talk, which I kind of suspected anyway. <laughs> and she goes, they're not going to let me talk. Just a minute. And she, and she runs up, takes the microphone, and there's this one guy on the piano uh, who was, had been singing. Um, he was, had a real, real nice singing voice, real nice guy. And he, she grabs the microphone and she says, Listen, they promised me I'm going to talk and I'm going to because I know what Kevin really believed. I know what he really thought. I was the last person to talk to him. And I know what, he, I know what his life was like, but I know what he ended up believing. And this is it. And she starts preaching the gospel. This is something that would have made Billy Graham you know, seem calm. You know, she was like really pounding the pulpit, preaching the gospel, powerful. And boy, were some people upset. The one girl sitting next to me, I'll never forget it, she covered her ears with her hands and she shut her eyes and she ground her teeth and she was just like, kind of like groaning and moaning like, nah, nah, nah. You know, well, obviously, we know what was going on there spiritually, right? But the, the, the people were just really upset what was going on. And But she said, this is what he believed and she prayed finished with the gospel and how to be, put their faith in Jesus. And she said, and, and here's my pastor right here with a bag of Bibles. You just come up, he'll give a Bible to anybody who wants one. Well, that was like, everybody looked at me like, you know, you know, you know, they were ready to throw me off the boat. I was going to have to jump. You could just feel the daggers coming my way. I was like, oh my goodness. But as nobody, nobody came up to me for a Bible. No, nobody came up to me for a Bible. No, no, nobody talked to me after that. Uh, except a couple people kind of whispered as they were walking by or sitting. They they lean over and they say, "I'm one of you. I'm one of you." <laughs> and they were trying to be incognito. But the the best part was at the end. Mary Alice comes up to me with the piano player, the guy who's doing the singing and, and playing. And he comes up and and it was obvious he was coming out of the same life as Kevin. And she says, "Listen, I just met this guy. His name is Malcolm. He's a Christian." I'm like, "Really?" <laughs> And she goes, yeah, he's a Christian, but he's been backslidden. He's been struggling. I'm like, I can see that. So, <laughs> but, but, but he, he, he wants to come back to God. I go, I go, now you got my ear. I go, that's awesome, Malcolm. That's super. And, and she goes, and, and he's going to come to church tomorrow. I go, that's awesome, Malcolm. I really hope you come. You know, would love to see you. And, you know, we had a nice little talk. And, and I fear I'd never see him again. The next day, guess who comes to church?
Malcolm. Malcolm is there. And he was flaming. He had his hair curled. He had his nails polished. He, had, he was flaming. He did it all. He did it all. And uh, later on, he told us why. He wanted to test our church. He really did want to come back to Jesus. He really did want to come back to Jesus. But he didn't know if the church would accept him. He didn't know if the people would accept him. And in fact, he was sure they wouldn't. And so he decked himself out and really tried to offend everybody. But he was shocked because no one even blinked. No one even was like... It was like they didn't see anything. They just saw Malcolm. They just saw someone who wanted to find Jesus. And, and he felt the love of Jesus Christ in a powerful way that morning. And his heart melted. The healing began. And, and it became a long battle. A lot of you remember Malcolm, right? Mal, Mal <laughs> fought that battle. Mal was the, the warrior alongside of Malcolm and took him to Pure Life Ministry where he spent all that time getting his sexual healing and then took him to Teen Challenge where he got all that, spent all that time dealing with his drug struggles and getting his healing there. And then remember when, when Malcolm came back with Teen Challenge when they came and sang and shared and then, then Malcolm preached here and told this whole story, a lot of this story he told publicly here. It was just a powerful, powerful day. And now I know he's down uh, south somewhere. He's working at a, a ministry helping people fight uh, addictions and idols and struggles. And he's got a you know, he's got a tremendous ministry now. It's just super to, to see what God did. God, you talk about idols and being set free. That's what the power of the gospel, that's what the truth of God's word, that's what Jesus Christ can do for anybody. And that's just one story. We all are Malcolm. We all have a struggle. We're all Kevin. We all have something in our life that is a powerful idol, is a powerful battle that we're vulnerable to. We all do. That's just one. Yours could be adultery. Yours could be pornography. Premarital sex. It could be food. It could be alcohol and dr or drugs. It could be gossip. It could be anything that you struggle with that's an idol in your life. But the power, the, the power of the gospel can set us free. What idol have you turned to for fulfillment? Are you ready to live free? We turn to sin to fulfill, which it never does. Remember, I always say this. Sin promises, thrills, never fulfills, ultimately kills. Is there a sin in your life that you have allowed to become an idol? whether it's immorality, impurity, greed, which are really all a form of lust. All these things are, are some form of some kind of a lust. We, every day, we have to fight that. I know my own daily struggles with my idols. I have to ask this question every day. Do I want this sin and the effects of this sin, or do I want God and his blessings? Do I want this sin and the effects of that sin, or do I want God and his blessings? And we have to make up our mind every day. God will give all the grace in the world if we ask for it. The only thing He won't do is make up our minds. We must surrender. Have we turned to sinful idols to fulfill emotional needs or at least numb our emotional pain? Do we try to fill that void that we have, that hole in our heart? Do we try to fill it with drugs or alcohol or sex or shopping or food or vegging in front of the TV? You name it. It could be anything. Fill in the blank. Or maybe we even turn to something good, good things in a negative way. 
for the ultimate fulfillment that only God gives. We could turn to our job, our family, our pets, our food, sports, ministry even, anything. Here's some idle tests. Idle tests. Where do we turn for fulfillment? Where do we turn for fulfillment? Whether it's a person, place, or thing, and it can be positive in its place, but what is primary? These things aren't. These are things that aren't necessarily wrong. But do we put them? Do we turn to them primarily? That's our main focus to find our fulfillment. Sports comes to mind. Sports teams come to mind. It's fun to watch sports unless it becomes an idol. Maybe our team has just won the the Super Bowl and now it's become an idol. <laughs> uh, Test. What happens when they lose? Are we disappointed or depressed? Disappointment's okay, but if we're depressed. Idol. Do we enjoy the game or do we freak out the whole time, screaming at the TV and saying things you want your pastor to hear? <laughs> yeah. That's an idol test, right? Where do we turn for fulfillment? Where do we turn for comfort when we're down? For comfort. Many people, and there's anything you could turn to food, anything, but many people turn to pornography. We, we learn to use it as a soother. Now pick me up when I'm down or we're anxious. We use it to soothe our, our anxiety. But you know what? That's God's role. That's using pornography and the endorphins shooting to the brain to replace God. That's God's role in our life to comfort us. And now that, what do you depend on to meet your needs? Not just fulfillment and comfort, but what do you depend on to meet your needs? Maybe financial needs. Maybe you're a workaholic because you're, you're depending on your workaholism. Or we put your faith in the stock market. Or playing the lotto. Well, that's all idols. That's God's job to meet our needs. And the ultimate idol test. What happens when God takes something or someone away? Do we get bitter? Angry? Self-pity? That shows, that exposes that it was an idol. I knew a, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, a lot of you know that. And I remember this one young man who had a girlfriend, his first girlfriend, and boy, was he in love with her. We knew it wasn't going to last, it was his first, girl, first girlfriend. But, but he, she broke up with him, like someone else. That's all the time. And disappointment is okay, but he lost it. He lost it. He could get mad at God in four years. Even now, he's still not right to this day. Why? Because she was an idol. I knew another guy who had a Division One basketball scholarship. Big college, great basketball player. He gets hurt. He goes off to college and he gets hurt right away. He gets hurt and he can't play basketball. And he became bitter and he turned to drugs. And he became a, a serious drug addict. And to this day, he still has that bitter spirit and he's a drug addict and he still can't break free of, of addictions because he, that's what he turned to. What did that show? That basketball was his idol. And he replaced that idol with another one, with the drugs. Death, the ultimate disappointment. Talk about disappointment. Death is the ultimate disappointment. When we lose someone and we, the pain we go through, we all experience it. Every person here experiences that. You know what we lost. And others in the church have lost people recently. Even others have lost children, many in our community. It's a brutal trauma. You know. And I have seen people who have lost loved ones turn 
on God. Turn. Now, now we all have to wrestle with God, right? When something bad happens, we wrestle with God, just like Jacob, we wrestle with God. We need a time to wrestle, we need a time to grieve. But in the end, do we trust God? And I've seen people who have lost a loved one turn on God. Instead of trust God, turn on God and lose their faith and never find their way back. What does that show? That that person was more important than God. It exposed an idol. Do we trust God over everything, no matter what is removed? The idol tests. How is God speaking to us? Because only God can fulfill the most important decision you will ever make is this decision. Christians, you're already a Christian. Every day, the most important decision you'll ever make, every day you must decide daily, will I serve an idol or will I serve God? What will I serve? What will I follow? What will I invest my life in? What will I give my heart to? To an idol or to God? Every day, all day long, we got to fight this battle, right? we got to make that decision. Don't forget what Jesus said. If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. The decision you have to make is whether you're going to put your faith in Jesus. It's the most important decision you will ever make. It will change your life here radically and it will change your eternity. Only God can fill the hole in the soul. Will you put your faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ? Will you give your life to Him? Only He can fill that hole. He's the only one who can fulfill us and, and give us true peace and true joy. Only He can, real life, only He can do it. And there's only one way to get it, and that's by putting our faith in Jesus, the Son of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. How is God speaking to you? Have you ever made this decision, the most important decision you will ever make? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? You can do that right now. Wherever you are, you can do that right now. You don't need a religious rite. You don't need someone to help you. It's a prayer between you and God. You can go directly to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The prayer of faith. God, I don't want the sin in the garbage anymore. I walk away from that. I turn away from that. I repent of that old life. Please forgive me because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus who died on the cross for me who rose from the dead for me to set me free I put my faith in him my trust in him I give my life to Jesus 
If you have prayed that prayer of faith, then you no longer have a hole in your soul. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus is there. And your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've made that decision. Someone who, another Christian who can be excited for you and encourage you. For those of us who are already Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What battle are we facing? Every day, I pray that you would remember to every day to, to, to wrestle with that decision and make that decision, God or an idol. Blessings or the sinful effect, the consequences. The life, the lie that Satan offers or the life, the real life God offers us, the true life of fulfillment and happiness and joy and peace and purpose. Father, I pray that every person who hears these words would put their faith in Christ. And I pray that this would be another step in each of our lives to break the power of idols in our life and to live free in Jesus. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.